0: Well, good morning, everyone. Yeah, My name is Adam. I'm so glad that you are joining us, whether you've been coming here for a while or maybe this is your first time. I think I know just about everybody here in this room, but there still seems like there's a lot of new faces every week. And so if I haven't met you before, I do want to get to know you. Yeah, I'll catch you later. I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. <laughs> I don't think anybody was going to take me up on that after the first service, so I'm excited. Uh, This morning, we are going to be talking about, and I think, answering one of the most important questions we could wrestle with. And I think this is a question that a lot of people ask themselves. I think it's a question that a lot of religions try to answer. And this question is this. What can wash away my sin? Now, I said a lot of people wrestle with this question. Maybe you wouldn't say it in those particular words. But I think a lot of different religions try to answer that question somehow. And even if somebody is an atheist and they don't believe with God, I think they still wrestle with this. Even if they don't believe that they're held accountable to God, maybe they wouldn't use the word sin. But there's still shame and there's still guilt. What do you do with that? Maybe you've been pretty comfortable with telling your story to people, and in your story you could share about your brokenness or bad choices that you've made, but there's some details that you just don't want anybody to know, because no matter how much time has passed, it just resurfaces some of those emotions, some of that pain. Or maybe you've been with a bunch of friends that you grew up with, and you're telling stories about college days or crazy things that you've done and bad choices that were actually pretty funny, and you can throw some stories in the mix, but there's some stories from your life that just aren't funny. They're never going to be funny. You can't just shrug that stuff off. There's that, sh- there's that sh- guilt, and there's that shame. What do you do with that? You can try to justify the things that you've done. You could be like, well... Back then, I, was, I just didn't know any better. Or I was young, or I was drunk, or the environment that I was in just made it really hard. But do those justifications really wash away your sin? It, it can't take away the things that you've already done. You could try to compare yourself to other people and think, well, at least I'm not like them. At least I haven't done the kinds of things that they've done. But that doesn't, that might make you feel better for a little bit, but that doesn't wash away your sin. Maybe you feel like you need to pay yourself back or pay God back. Like you owe it to yourself or you owe it to God to be a better person. And so you just hope if you can just do enough good works, if you can go to church, help other people, then maybe all of those good things will start to minimize the things in your past. But does that really wash away your sin? And so we're going to answer that question this morning from God's Word. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to start out in Mark chapter 1, in verse 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's all right. We're going to have it up here on the screen for you to follow along. And we're going to get things started by talking about a man named John the Baptist. Now, he was called John the Baptist Not because that was his denomination as opposed to like Presbyterian or Methodist or Lutheran. He's called John the Baptist or John the Baptizer because he had a ministry of baptizing people. And before John the Baptist stepped out on the scene, dunking other people in water wasn't really a thing. Like, back in Jewish culture, there was something called, like, a purification bath, where people would take this bath to symbolize being clean on the inside, but it wasn't somebody else dunking them in the water. And so all of this started with John the Baptist, and we're going to read a little bit more about him in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 4. It says, This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Now maybe you grew up around church. If you did, you're probably familiar with the altar call. That's where The preacher would give a message and then an invitation at the end of the message for you to respond by getting up out of your seat and coming to the front. And that was something that was more popular several years ago. You probably don't see it as much today. But the whole idea behind the altar call, I think, was to link up a spiritual decision with a physical, tangible action step. Getting up out of your seat, coming to the front. And I think that John the Baptist is doing the same thing here by calling people to get baptized. He's linking up a spiritual decision of repenting from sin. That's just a churchy word for turning away from your sin and turning to the God's right ways and changing the way that you live. And he's linking up that spiritual decision of repentance with getting baptized, being dunked in the water. And at the time that John the Baptist is baptizing people, This is before the ministry of Jesus. This is before Jesus had done any miracles. This is before Jesus died on the cross, before Jesus was risen from the grave. And so this baptism doesn't have any symbolism connected to what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because this was before that time. His baptisms were really just about people turning away from their sin. And John the Baptist was like the preacher man. And when we think about great preachers throughout history, most of us probably think of Billy Graham, like how he would pack tents full of thousands of people, give these great messages. People would come from far and wide to hear Billy Graham. John the Baptist is like the biblical version of Billy Graham. We read in verse 5, it says, all of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. Now, does this mean literally every single person in Jerusalem went out to see John? Now, it's a figure of speech, and we use this all the time. Like, everybody was there, or everybody's going to be there. It still means this is a big deal. There are large crowds coming out to see John and witness firsthand his ministry and experience Uh, seeing people turning away from their sins or maybe being the one to turn away from their sins. And so all these people who are coming out to see John, they're thinking, John is the man. Maybe he's even the promised one of God. Maybe he's even the one that's going to save people from their sins. And so everybody thinks that John is the man, except for John himself. And he knows that his role is really just to prepare the way for somebody greater And so he tries to explain this to the people and the religious leaders. And in John chapter 1, he says to him, or to the groups of people, he says, John told them, I baptize you with water, but right here in this crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River, where John was baptizing. And then this verse next is so profound. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, everybody, you're wondering if I'm the chosen one. Look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is pointing to none other than Jesus And I think John is answering this question that we started with, what can wash away my sin? And John is saying, Jesus, the Lamb of God, he is the one who can wash away our sin. And Jesus doesn't just have a solution for your sin, he is the solution. Now, maybe you're not surprised by this answer, and you're probably not even all that satisfied perhaps, Uh, like, all right. We all know Jesus is the Sunday school answer. Like, Jesus is the right answer to 80% of the questions you could ask in Sunday school. Like, uh, who rose from the dead? Jesus. Who died on the cross? Jesus. Who did miracles? Jesus. Who can wash away our sins? Jesus. Yeah, you guys got it. And maybe you're thinking, all right, it's kind of simplistic. Jesus. And I'm not making light of this. Maybe it does feel simplistic, but we are going to try to connect some dots this morning and dig a little bit deeper into how Jesus can wash away our sin. And we're going to take a look at this theme in the Bible that really goes from cover to cover in God's way of being able to wash away our sins. Maybe you've read through the Bible before, or you've tried reading through the Old Testament, like the first part of the Bible before Jesus And maybe you've wondered to yourself, what is the deal with killing all of these animals? What's with the sacrifices? What's with the shedding of blood? There might be some things in the Old Testament that seem kind of confusing, maybe kind of weird. And my hope is that as we connect some dots this morning, it won't be quite as confusing or maybe not as weird. And so going back to what's up with all of these sacrifices, well, the writer of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so right from the start of human history, God makes it very clear that the consequence of sin is death. And God puts into action this sacrificial system for the Jewish people so that when they sin, they would Uh, do a sin offering and sacrifice the life of a sheep or a goat or something like that. And as that animal dies at their hands, it's a reminder, the consequence of their sin is death. And then the shed blood of that animal would, in a spiritual sense, cover up their sin so that they could be made right with God. And so the Israelites would do this on an individual basis, but they would also offer this sacrifice once a year on behalf of the entire nation. And the day that they would make this sacrifice on behalf of the entire nation is called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And so we're going to take a look at what happens on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. And God gives the instructions for this whole sacrifice thing To Moses, who is the leader of the Israelite people at this time. And then Moses was to pass on these instructions to his brother Aaron, who is the high priest over Israel. So that means Aaron is like the top spiritual leader. He's the one who would do all the big sacrifices, take care of things in the tabernacle, which was the dwelling place of God during that time. And this whole practice on the Day of Atonement started out with Aaron, the high priest, first cleansing himself. And so he would sacrifice a bull for his own sin. He would do one of those purification baths. He would put on clean clothes. And then we're going to read about what he does next in verse 7. It says, Then he must take two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people into the wilderness of a Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by lot for the Lord. The other goat, the scapegoat chosen by lot to be sent away, will be kept alive standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to a zeal in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. So in this whole scenario, there's two goats. One of them is slaughtered, and then the blood of that goat symbolically covers up the sin of the Israelite people. The consequence of sin is death, remember? And so that goat would die for the sins of the nation of Israel. And then the second goat had a different purpose, and we're going to read about that in verse 20. It says, When Aaron finished purifying the most holy place in the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat, Then a man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. Now, when we look at this verse right here, what does it sound like? Sounds a lot like what John the Baptist said of Jesus when he said, Behold, The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why was Jesus called the lamb of God? Why is he referred to as an animal? It's because a lamb is a sacrificial animal. And Jesus went to the cross to be the sacrifice for our sin. Then it says he takes away, he like lifts up, carries away the sin of the world. It's the same idea of this goat with all the sins of the people of Israel wandering away into the wilderness so that the sins of the people isn't before them their sins aren't before God it is cast away it is there no longer and Jesus came to this world to fulfill the role of both of these goats and to make a way for us to be forgiven of our sin and you could wonder why don't we still sacrifice goats today? Why don't we do the things that the people in the Old Testament did? Well, the truth is, sacrificing animals doesn't really truly take away our sins. It really just points to what Jesus would do on the cross. And this is what we know to be true from the author of Hebrews. It says, the old system under the law of Moses. Talking about the Day of Atonement that we just read about with the two goats, it says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared but instead those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins and so this whole sacrificial system really just points to what Jesus would do for us on the cross, they had to sacrifice these animals year after year after year because that didn't really take care of our problem. But Jesus only died on the cross once, and his blood shed for us on the cross was enough for us to be forgiven of our sins, our past sins, our present sins, and even our future sins. And I, sometimes it's hard to wrap our minds around what exactly Jesus did for us on the cross. And so that's why I think it can be helpful for us to look at this Old Testament sacrificial system to see what happened to those goats and think Jesus is a fulfillment of that. Just like that goat whose blood was spilled to cover up the sins of the people. That's the role that Jesus played. He quite literally shed his blood on the cross. Jesus literally gave up his life. He didn't just experience a physical death. Jesus experienced spiritual death. Jesus experienced the hell for us that all of us deserve to experience. And Jesus carries away our sins. If we are forgiven by God, God, when God looks at us, he doesn't see the mess of our sins. Instead, he sees what Jesus has done for us. And he doesn't focus on our sins. It's like they're carried away into the wilderness where they are not seen anymore. They are not held against us anymore. Is another way of thinking about this that I've been thinking through all week long. And maybe it's been super distracting this morning seeing this stain on my shirt. Maybe you can't even focus to anything I've said. Hopefully not. But um, this stain on my shirt represents the sin in my life. We'll say this is before I became a Christian. I made sure last night to get this shirt as stained as possible. I used spray paint. Barbecue sauce, ketchup, coffee, and motor oil. I'm trying to like rub all of these things in the shirt to know. There is no amount of soap or washes in the laundry machine that is going to take care of this stain. And so wearing a shirt like this, it's not just that I'm wearing a dirty shirt. I'm kind of a dirty person. Like this is very much ingrained into who I am. My sin is a part of my nature. I want to bring Kurt up here on the stage. Look at this nice, clean (laughs) T-shirt. Yeah. So naturally, Kurt represents Jesus. And um, Jesus came to this world to live the perfect life for us that none of us could ever live. There's a verse in the Bible that says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin or that he might become sin for us or the sacrifice for our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, if you have placed your faith in him, there is a transfer that happens. Even though Jesus was innocent, the guilt of all of my sin was put on him. And God the Father treated Jesus as if he was guilty of my sin and poured out punishment on Jesus that I deserve to pay for. And in exchange, I receive the righteousness of God. It doesn't mean that everything that I do is, is good, but it means that I have a right standing with God. I'm clean in his sight because of what Jesus has done for us. And this is not something that I could earn. This isn't something that I deserve, anything that I could work towards. But it's because of what Jesus did on the cross. Thank you, Kurt. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the starting point for Christianity as a whole. We've talked about the starting point for God's plan to solve our sin problem. This morning, we're going to get a little bit more personal and talk about the starting point for a relationship with God. That is experiencing personal forgiveness for personal sins is often the starting point personal faith like a a relationship with God begins with forgiveness it's not good people that get to go to heaven it's forgiven people and every other religion in the world is about what we have to do to get to God good works, certain practices be a religious person but Christianity is different than all other religions because Christianity is about what God has done for us so that we could have a relationship with him. He made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins, so that we can be in his presence for all of eternity. And I'm sure there's a lot of you here in this room who have trusted Jesus as your Savior. You have experienced forgiveness, but here's the tricky thing. Even if you have experienced God's forgiveness, maybe you still wrestle with living like you're forgiven. Maybe you still have those feelings of guilt and shame that just keep popping up in your life. And if that's where you're at this morning, what I want you to know is that you don't have to forgive yourself. Yourself has already been forgiven. If you're a grammar nerd, you probably hate this right now, but you'll remember it, right? You don't have to forgive yourself. Yourself has already been forgiven. And if, if you're waiting to be forgiven by God and forgiven by yourself in order to live like you're forgiven, then you have a higher standard than even God has for you. Because it's not about forgiving yourself and being forgiven by God to live in forgiveness, but it's about being forgiven by God. And that is enough. And maybe you still have those feelings of guilt and shame that keep popping up and if that's the case, just remember that if you are truly forgiven by God, Jesus already paid for that. You don't have to punish yourself. You don't have to live under that guilt anymore. You have the righteousness of God that is paid for. And maybe you've wrestled with this in your life where you are, you're a Christian, you did something wrong. Maybe it's something you've done recently, and you ask God for forgiveness. And then you ask God for forgiveness again, for the same exact thing, and again, and again. And you're just hoping if, if you just ask God enough times for forgiveness, then maybe you'll feel forgiven. But the truth is that if you ask God just one time for forgiveness, he'll forgive you. God always stays true to his word. If he says that he's going to forgive you, he's going to do it the first time. And there's nothing that holds God back from doing what he sets out to do and doing what he says that he will do. So the bottom line for this morning is maybe there's some of you here in this room that are not forgiven of your sins. Maybe your sin has not been washed away. You've never turned to Jesus to be your leader and forgiver. If that's the case, I just want you to know there is nothing better than having your sins forgiven and having this hope of being with God for all of eternity, a relationship with him that can start today and go on forever. Maybe there's some of you here in this room, and you are forgiven, and you do have a relationship with God, but you still struggle with what to do with your guilt and your shame. I just want you to know that you don't have to forgive yourself. Jesus paid the price for our sin, and you just have to lean into that forgiveness.